Well, everybody knows the famous song, Amazing Grace. Uh, I read recently that they, they estimate over 10 million times a year people sing that song. I always wonder how they come up with those kind of estimates, don't you? Over 10 million times a year people sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." What in the world does that mean? That it's grace that teaches our hearts to fear? Well, I'll tell you what it meant to John Newton, the dude who penned those words in his song Amazing Grace back in 1779. Before Newton surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, he lived a pretty wild life. In fact, at one point, he was even the captain of a slave trading ship. But one day it dawned on him that at some point in the future, he was going to stand before Almighty God, the awesomely holy God, and give an account for his life, give an account for every act of disobedience. And, and the thought caused him great fear. Now, fear is a good thing in, in this regard. We should all fear standing before an awesomely holy, perfectly righteous God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9.27 puts it in even more stark terms. It says we're destined to die once and after that face judgment. So we'll stand before this God, this holy God, as our judge. Should cause a little bit of fear and trepidation on our part. So what did John Newton do with his fear? Well, he allowed his fear to motivate him to look for a solution to his sin crisis. Maybe there, there would be a savior out there who could get him out of his trouble. Somebody introduced him to Jesus Christ, said, you know, if you'll surrender your life to Christ, his death on the cross will pay the penalty for your sins, and his resurrection from the dead will give you power to live a changed life. And so Newton surrendered to Christ, and from that point on in time, Every time he looked back to the beginning of his spiritual journey, he recognized it was fear who got him, that got him launched in the right direction. It was the fear of standing before a holy God at judgment that caused him to look for a Savior, led him to Christ. I, I want to tell you, unless you, you fear God, you're going to miss out on God's biggest blessing of all, the blessing of salvation. If you, if you don't fear the prospect of standing before a holy God, it's easy to, you know, Sort of write the whole thing off, not really pursue Christ with any diligence, never surrender your life to him, never experience the blessing of God's salvation. Fear leads to the experience of God's blessing. Now, today we're going to talk about four additional blessings that God reserves for those who fear him. If you learn to fear God, you'll experience these four things we're going to be talking about. If you don't fear God, you won't you won't experience them. This is the second week of a three-part series called Untamed God, A Healthy Fear of the Almighty. I want you to turn with me, middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, rustle your pages as you're turning because that always makes me feel good, all right? Or flash your phone, your pad at me that lets, lets me know you're following along. Take your outline out because these are four blessings I think you want for your life. We're going to look at four different passages. They can all be found in the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalms is a great place, by the way, uh, a good book of the Bible to go to if you want to know who God is and why it's so important to fear him. Now, the Bible talks about fearing God over 150 times. 
Over 150 times the importance of fearing God is mentioned in Scripture, New Testament as well as Old Testament. But a lot of those references can be found in the book of Psalms. One of my favorites is Psalm 147, verse 11, that says, The Lord delights in those who fear him. Now, God delights in people who fear him. And you could be sure if God delights in you, he's going to bless your life. So let me talk to you about four kinds of blessing. First is the blessing of God's provision. Okay, blessing of God's provision. If you're opened to Psalm 34, we're going to begin at verse 8. And as I read this to you, if you have your own Bible... You might want to mark it up, just underline or circle every time we come across that word fear. Okay, that's our our main topic, fear. So when you see it pop up in the text, underscore it. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Even the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Do you see it? Three times there. And it's connected to a promise. It's the promise of God's provision, the blessing of God's provision. Pops up in in verse 9 that those who fear the Lord lack nothing. It's repeated in, in verse 10, lack no good thing. So, so if fear, fearing God is the key that opens the treasure chest of God's provision for us, we better figure out how to do it. How does one fear God? Well, we've jumped into the middle of the psalm. Let me read some surrounding verses in this psalm that will give you an idea of how we go about fearing God. In fact, as I read these verses, what, what I want to ask you to do is this. See if you can spot the repeating theme. Okay, there's a theme here. Verse 4, the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. It dropped down to verse 6, the opening of the verse. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. Go toward the end of the psalm, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. You see the repeating idea? What activity seems to accompany fearing God? The person who fears God does what? Call it out. Calls out, cries out to God. What's our word for this? That's a praise. The person who fears God prays. This is the key that unlocks the blessing of God's provision, prayer. Now, what is the opposite of praying. This is really profound, okay? The opposite of praying is, yeah, you figured me out. The opposite of praying is, is not praying. So why do we neglect to pray? I mean, could it be that we're self-sufficient? That, that we like to think that we can take care of ourselves? I mean, if it's something really big, we may go to, go to God, but you know, otherwise, we'll cover our own needs. In fact, we we don't want to appear to be needy, 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 needy. You ever see the movie, What About Bob? It's a comedy classic. If you've never seen it, you need to to check it out on Netflix or or, or something. But Bob is played by Bill Murray. He's got all these phobias in his life. So he goes to see a therapist, Dr. Leo Marvin. 
And Dr. Leo Marvin begins to help him, but then goes on vacation, family vacation. Well, Bob is just desperate. He's got needs, needs, needs. So he tracks down Dr. Marvin on his family vacation, and they have this little altercation. I want to show you 20 seconds of it. Here it is. I, I don't know if your family works this way, but we, you know, we have certain lines from movies, some of our favorite movies that we use. This is one of them. You know, when we're kind of a, in a tick on a dog mood, we'll, we'll say, Sue and I will say to each other, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And the, the reason we do it is, you know, it's obviously a joke because nobody wants to appear to be that needy. We, we don't want to have to depend on anybody other than ourselves to meet our needs. But the person who fears God, according to Psalm 34, has learned to pray many times a day. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I need you. And we sang it today in our, in our worship. Lord, I need you. James 4.2 says that the reason there are unmet needs in our lives is because we fail to ask God to provide. You do not have, James says, this is so straightforward, gotta love it. He says you do not have because you do not ask God. Period. End of sentence. You don't have because you don't pray. You don't pray. God loves to provide for those who fear him. God loves to provide for those who who fear him. You know, even the lions, I love what the psalmist says in 34 verse 10. He said the, the kings of the jungle, the wild beasts, the lions, that can grab whatever they want whenever they want it, even they have unmet needs. They grow weak and hungry. So why, why are you covering up the fact that you, you have needs? If you fear God, you won't fear admitting your own neediness. You'll be quick to pray. You'll ask God to provide for you, and he will. You say, well, is that all there is to it? I mean, I just pray, and God will give me whatever I want. Well, I didn't say that, all right? You know, it's true that sometimes God is waiting for us to pray. He's got a yes waiting for us. But sometimes God says no or slow or grow. Now, you've heard me teach on this before. If you've been around our church any length of time, it's in my book, Prayer Coach. You know, there, there are times when God turns us down, there's a flat no, and it's because our request is inappropriate. Now, it may not seem inappropriate to us, but God knows best. He knows what's in our best interest. So there'll be times he'll say, no, I'm not going to answer that request because it's not what's best for you. No. Sometimes he'll say slow. You know, the request is fine. It's just not the right timing. Okay, I'm going to put you off a little bit. I'm going to answer this eventually, but not right now. And sometimes the request is right, the timing is right, but we're wrong. You know, there's something in our character that needs to be changed. There's something that spiritually needs to be matured. There's some sin that needs to be repented of. And God says, I'm not going to answer you till you grow. In fact, in the second half of Psalm 34, Multiple times, the, the, the writer says, it's the righteous people whom God answers. The righteous cry out, verse 17 says, and the Lord hears them. So when, when you pray, you make sure that you come to God and you confess sin that's built up in your life. You make sure that there's nothing that you should be doing that you're not doing or shouldn't be doing that you are doing. 
Because God hears the prayers of a righteous person. God loves to answer with a yes, though occasionally he'll say no, slow, or, or grow. What is it you need today? You need a new job? You need a dependable babysitter? You need a good night's sleep or a new furnace or some customers or somebody to explain the math homework to you? God loves to provide for those who fear him. So make sure you're walking in righteousness, but then pray. Pray. Some years ago when uh, one of our kids was still a preschooler, uh, Sue and I had a need in our lives. I'm a bit hesitant to share this with you because some of you are going to say, well, that's pretty trivial. Uh, but that's part of the, the purpose of this illustration to demonstrate it doesn't have to be a huge need. It could be a smaller need. Pray about everything. So our need at, at this point in life was a bike trailer. Now, with this preschooler, Sue and I love to bike. This is how we get our exercise. This is how we burn uh, stress out of our lives. We just get on the bike path along the river and you know, bask in God's creation. This is how we spend time with each other. But we had a preschooler at, at home. You can't go biking with each other unless you've got a bike trailer for that little one. So I set out to meet my need. I could meet my need. All you need is a checkbook, right? So I went out to bike stores, and I priced brand-new bike trailers, and I discovered I couldn't afford it. Hundreds of dollars. Are you kidding me? I can't afford a bike trailer. But I was still fairly convinced that I could provide for myself. So the next thing I did is I, you know... No, no eBay back then, no Craigslist. I was looking for a used bike trailer now. And so you did what you had to do back then. You went to garage sales. And so I went to garage sale after garage sale. Couldn't find a used bike trailer. Then a brand new strategy dawned on me. Why don't I pray? So I prayed about a bike trailer. Now, it wasn't a flipping prayer. It wasn't a one-liner yeah, off the top of my my head. I sat down with my journal. I wrote out a prayer to God. I said, God, this is, this is my need. This is our need in this situation. I'm looking to you to fill it. A couple of weeks after I, I wrote out that prayer, soon I came home late one evening, and in our garage was a brand new bike trailer with a, a note, an anonymous friend had said, thought you may be, may be able to use this. Now, I, I knew who was behind that anonymous friend. You know, lesson learned, don't fear needs. Fear God who alone can provide. Walk in righteousness so you could pray about everything and see the blessing of God's provision. Here's a second blessing that comes to those who fear God. Number two, the blessing of protection. Okay, we've been in Psalm 34. I told you we're going to four different psalms, so go one psalm earlier, Psalm 33, and pick it up in the middle of the psalm, reading at verse 16. Okay, the writer of this psalm says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Stop there for a moment. The, the, the writer of this psalm has figured something out that we all need to figure out, and that is there, there are a lot of dangers in our world that we can't protect ourselves from. You could have the biggest army on earth. You could have the fastest horse in the world. And it won't, won't get you out of your troubles. won't save you. Have you ever stopped to consider all the ways we try to protect ourselves these days? 
And I sat down this week and I decided to make a little list. It was, it was almost humorous. We take our vitamins, we wear bike helmets, we buy lots of insurance, we install not just a sump pump, we install a backup battery run sump pump in case the sump pump goes out. We go in for annual checkups. If we're in legal trouble, we hire a great lawyer. We keep changing our password on our electronic devices. We put fresh batteries in our smoke alarms. We carry a concealed weapon. I mean, the list is endless. Heard a story on, online recently. It's one of those stories you're never sure, did this really happen or is you know, this one of those urban myths? I hope it really happened because it's such a great story. An elderly lady was leaving the grocery store. She had her arms full of groceries, and she looks, and she sees four young guys breaking into her car. So she drops her groceries, reaches into her purse, pulls out a gun, waves it in the air, and shouts, I've got a gun, and I know how to use it. Well, these guys look up with terror, and they just get out of there as quick as their legs will take them. So she picks up her groceries, goes to the car, puts them in the back seat, slides into the front, puts her key into the ignition, and it won't fit. Yeah. That's when she realized she had the wrong car. And her car, the right car, was a few aisles away. So she transports her groceries to the right car and she decides she better go to the police station and just kind of fess up, let them know what's, what's happened. And she walks in the door and there are four trembling young men making a report about a crazy lady with a gun. <laughs> We, we're not so good at protecting ourselves. And there are a lot of dangers out there you can't protect yourself from. You could carry a concealed firearm. You cannot protect yourself from many dangers you'll face. So what do you do? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 18. It's where we left off. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Where does the writer of Psalm 33 go to for protection? God. And whom does God protect? Whom does God protect? It's not a carte blanche promise to everyone. Look at the opening line of verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are on those who, what? Call it out. Fear him. So what does fearing God look like if you want to experience the blessing of protection? Well, we started the psalm out in the middle. We started at verse 16. Let's go back to the beginning of the psalm. Let's give some context to what it means to fear God. Okay, opening verses read like this. Verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. So praise God with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. In this psalm of protection, the psalmist says if, if we want to experience the blessing of God's protection, we must fear God, and fearing God is expressed how? through faith. Through praise and worship. That's how we express our fear of God. You know, let, let, me tell you the, let me tell you the backstory of the guy who wrote Psalm 33. Okay, you may know this, but many of the Psalms were written by King David. But whenever David is the author of a Psalm, it'll say so at the top of the Psalm. But if you look at the top of Psalm 33, it doesn't say King David. In fact, there is no name there. It's anonymous. 
Now, Bible scholars figure this, this particular psalm may have been written by another one of Israel's kings. Why a king? Well, because according to verse 16 that I read to you a moment ago, whoever wrote it, the dude says, no king is saved by the size of his army. So it sounds like personal testimonial here. You know, some king who knows it's not the size of your army, it's, it's God who can protect you. What king would that be? Jehoshaphat. Some of you think I just made that up, don't you? Jumping Jehoshaphat? Yeah. Now, Jehoshaphat's actually a guy in the Bible. He's one of Israel's kings, the southern kingdom of Judah. He ruled in 850 B.C. In that year, he heard that there was a massive army, a coalition of enemy countries. They, they gathered together and were sending an army his way to devastate Judah. Now, King Jehoshaphat had a pretty good-sized army himself, but the army coming his way, according to 2 Chronicles 20, was vast. was vast. So what should he do? He ran to the temple, he got on his knees, and he said, God, we need your protection. What are we going to do? God gave him some instructions, strange instructions. I mean, instructions that no military strategist had ever come up with before. God told Jehoshaphat at the front of his army as he went out to meet the enemy army, at the front of the army, he should have men singing at the top of their lungs, singing praise to God, thanksgiving to God. Go, God, go. Go, God, go. Now, you've got to have a good imagination as you read Old Testament stories. You see, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, can you imagine the general coming to Jehoshaphat and saying, okay, we're sending the troops out to meet the enemy army. Like, who should we put at the front? Like, should it be the archers or, you know, maybe the cavalry or foot soldiers? And Je Jehoshaphat says, how about the choir? <laughs> Excuse me, king. Like, who should we put at the front of the army? Well, like, like I said, the choir, the tenors, the basses, the baritones and have them sing at the top of their lungs. So this is what they do, very unorthodox. We read in Scripture that God stirred up confusion in the enemy ranks. There was an internal mutiny. Soldiers started turning on each other, killing each other off. By the time Jehoshaphat's singing army met the enemy, the enemy was dead on the ground. And so Jehoshaphat and his army, they beat a quick path back to Jerusalem. You know what they do? The first thing they do is they gather every instrument they could get their hands on. They gather trumpets and drums and electric lyres and, you know, and they make a beeline for the temple and they have a praise fest. They worship God. We talked about this last week. One of the ways that we express an appropriate fear of God is, is worship. If we want to experience the blessing of God's protection, then it may be a good idea to set aside a day every week when we get together with other Christ-following people and we praise God for being the awesome, powerful God He is. Yeah, this is something that you know, just has to be celebrated regularly in song and with others. You know, I said to you last week, if you, if you miss a sermon here, you know, if you're out of town on a weekend or you're doing something else, you, you could go home, fire up your computer, watch it online in a room by yourself. And I hope you will. But what, what you'll miss out on, what you'll miss out on is corporate worship. What you'll miss out on is being surrounded by hundreds of people 
who are singing as we sang today, immortal, invisible, God only wise, and light inaccessible hid from our eyes. You miss the opportunity to sing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above. With wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. You say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it seems to be a big deal to God. Seems to be a big deal to God. Go back to Psalm 33. You know, after the psalmist, quite possibly King Jehoshaphat, tells us in the opening verses to praise God with music, you know, he gives us a, a topic to include in our praise. He extols God for his awesome power in creation. Pick it up at verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Fearing God is worshiping God. It's praising God for among other things. His power is demonstrated in creation. It's, it's singing with hundreds of other believers. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Billionaire Bill Gates, in a recent interview with Rolling Stone magazine, he said, I think we got it up here. He says, the mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing. And there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. Now, this comment kind of surprised the reporter. So the reporter said, that, well, then, do you believe in God? Now, look at his response. He says, well, I think it makes sense to believe in God. Now, get this. But exactly what decision in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. I read that and I thought to myself, Billy, Billy, Billy. <laughs> Believing that God in his awesome power created the universe has no bearing on your life, decisions you make and how you choose to live. I beg to differ. Knowing that the universe was created by an awesome God, an omnipotent God, celebrating his awesomeness on a weekly basis with hundreds of other believers, sends me into a dangerous world every week with the certainty, with the peace that this awesome God can protect me, that this awesome God has my back. Don't tell me it doesn't make any, it makes a huge difference in my life. Not only to know it, but to celebrate it. Now, does that mean that nothing bad will ever happen to me because this God protects me? No, some, sometimes I've learned God doesn't save me from things. Sometimes he saves me through things. You learn that one yet? He doesn't save you from every storm. Many of you have been through, even in recent days, horrible storms. But if you know the blessing of God's protection, you know what it means to be saved through them. The blessing of God's protection. Here's a third one. The blessing of God's guidance. Let's go to another psalm. This time Psalm 25. Back toward the uh, front of the book of Psalms. If you're looking at Psalm 25 in your Bible, you'll see it's got 22 verses, which is interesting because there are 22 letters of the alphabet in the Hebrew alphabet. And you say, well, so what? 
Well, the reason I point it out is that Psalm 25 is one of nine psalms that are arranged according to an acrostic. Okay, so if you were reading this in Hebrew, you would see that the first word, the first letter of the first word in the first verse is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When you go to verse 2, it begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 3, the third letter, and down it goes. Well, what difference does that make? You know, what, what is David, and in this case it's David who's writing, why does he do it this way? Well, Bible scholars say it may be several different reasons. One reason is just it's an artsy thing to do. You're writing a poem. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme like some of our poems do. So one of the ways you could embellish your poem if you're a fancy pants poet is, you know, do this acrostic thing. Uh, other Bible scholars say, well, something else that David may, may have had in mind. He's writing this, this poem, this psalm about God's guidance. Maybe he wants to tell his readers everything you need to know about God's guidance. A to Z is in this poem. Read it. Or maybe some scholars say maybe David's just making it easy to memorize. He's given us a bunch of tips about how to seek God's guidance, and he's arranged it A to Z so we can memorize it and have those tips ready to go. Well, that would be helpful. So let's jump into the middle of verse 25. Let's see what David has to say about the blessing of God's guidance. Pick it up at verse 12. He says, who then are those who fear the Lord? Okay, there's our word fear. He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord confides in those who fear him. God shares his secrets with those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Now, how many times a week could you use guidance from God? You, know, you don't want to make a foolish decision, possibly even stick your foot in a snare as this 15th verse warns us against. I mean, you're trying to decide which college to apply to or whether to hang on to your car with 100,000 miles or trade it in for something else. You know, you're, you're, you're weighing if this is the right time to put your mom in a nursing home or what the right approach would be to use with a you know, potential customer. You've got to make a decision how to resolve a conflict with your spouse or what ministry to serve in around Christ's community church. Lots of decisions. Someone has said that life is just one decision after another. That's true. Would you like God to guide you? Then fear him, David says. Verse 12, those who fear the Lord, he will instruct in the ways they should choose. Verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Once again, we have to ask the question, what does fearing God look like? This time with respect to God's guidance. Well, there are several ways to demonstrate a fear of God according to Psalm 25. Jot these down. First, first way is just to know God's word. We can't fear God unless we reverence and study God's word. Okay, when, when David refers to the Bible in Psalm 25, he doesn't call it the Bible. Okay, the commands of Scripture he refers to in this psalm as God's paths, God's truth, God's ways. Look at verses 4 and 5. David says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. He's talking about God's word. 
Drop down to verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. God's way is recorded in God's word. So if you want to fear God and so gain his guidance, then saturate your life with God's word. Now, I, you know, I know some of you are thinking, well, this sounds good when a pastor says it, but practically speaking, it doesn't work. I mean, like if I'm faced today with a job offer in San Diego and I open my Bible, what does the Bible say about the job offer in San Diego? San Diego isn't even in the Bible, is it? Well, it is. Hesitations 4 verse 7 says, thou shalt not move to San Diego, but shalt abide in Chicago. Right there. I'm making this up, okay? No, San Diego is not in the Bible. But a lot of biblical principles will help you make a decision as to whether or not to take that job in San Diego. And so this is not a Ouija board that you open to a page and boom. This is something that you digest over time. You, You get a hold of a Bible reading schedule, the Scripture Union reading schedule, and you read it daily, you get in a community group and you study it, and over time it saturates your life and it impacts your decisions. You know, I had a young couple come up to me after one of the services last week, and they wanted to update me. We had prayed the previous week about a job decision, two two roads they could take. And so we prayed about it, and they were coming back to report to me. They said, you know, after we prayed, we went home, and we saw a book on the coffee table, 52 Things Your Kids Need Most from a Dad. And this book's been written by Jay Payleitner, uh, one of Christ Community Church's members. In fact, Jay spoke on this topic on Father's Day uh, last June at Christ Community. And so they pick up Jay's book, and they're reading, you know, this, this book about family, about parenting. And Jay says, look at Psalm 127. So they go to Psalm 127, and it's got all this information about how to be a good parent. And suddenly the lights go on, and they realize, you know, one of these jobs we choose could be family-friendly, but the other job, ugh, it's going to work havoc on our family. Is this what God's telling us? And they concluded exactly, that's exactly what God was doing. Pick the one that accords with the principles, the parenting principles of Psalm 127. No, God didn't say this job or that job. God gave them the principles. You know, if you'll soak in God's word, then you'll be able to evaluate the advice that you're given. Friends will give you advice. It's amazing to me how often I hear Christ followers who listen to counsel from ungodly people. Say, really, just because somebody at work said that or your classmate at school said, like you're going to take boyfriend friend advice from a gal who slept with how many different guys this past year? Are you nuts? Or you're going to take financial advice from the guy who can't, you know, can't balance his own checkbook, he's got credit card debt, and you're, you're listening to him as he tells you what he thinks you ought to buy with your money? Learn God's word. Evaluate every bit of counsel you hear against it. When you feel prompted by God's Spirit, I think God's moving me to do this. Check the prompting out against God's Word. God's Spirit's not going to prompt you to do something that he, he, He won't underscore in the pages of the Word He inspired. When you seem to have an open door or a closed door, you're looking at circumstances. What are these circumstances saying about my decision? Weigh it according to God's Word. 
You know, second way to demonstrate that you're fearing God is you seek his guidance. You know, spend time in his word. But secondly, keep short tabs on sin in your life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but throughout this Fearing God series, this is a recurring theme. One of the ways to fear God is, you know, to make quick amends with God, to confess anything in your life that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing or that you're not doing and you should be doing. In, in Psalm, the Psalm that we're, we're, we're looking at right now, you'll learn that it's the, the, the prayers of a person who is righteous who, that are heard by God in, in, in Psalm 25 verses 6 and 7, David adds, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. And if you're making a big decision and you want God's direction, then make a habit of confessing sin to God every day. I want to walk in your ways. I want to be a righteous person so that you'll hear and answer my prayer for guidance. You know, it's confession that takes the earwax out of our ears. So we can hear God when he speaks, so we can discern his leading, so that we can receive guidance from him. A third thing I learned in this psalm, Psalm 25, about getting God's guidance, the blessing of guidance, a third way to fear him is to exercise patience as we're waiting for his response. Look at at the closing line of verse 5. David tells God, my hope is in you all day long. Now, if you got your own Bible, circle the word hope, put out in the, in the margin the word wait, because the word wait comes from the same root, Hebrew root, as the word hope. In fact, some Bible versions translate verse 5 as, I wait for you all day long. In other words, when I pray about something, I'm going to wait for God's response. Now, sometimes our attitude is, well, you know, I've prayed about it, I've asked God direction. He doesn't seem to respond, so I'm just going to do what seems best to me. That's not fearing God. Fearing God says, I've prayed about it, and if it takes God a week or a month or a year to give me an answer, I'm going to wait for his response. You know, interestingly, King David, who wrote this psalm, he had gone to school on his ex-boss in this regard, previous king who had gotten fired because of his impatience, refused to wait upon God. King Saul, first king of Israel. You know, shortly after his inauguration, the prophet Samuel came to Saul and said, God, God's got some instructions for you, Saul, but here's what you got to do. You got to take your army, go to such and such a town, and wait there. Okay, wait until God communicates his plan. So Saul takes his army, and he goes to that town, and he waits. And he waits, and he waits, and he's not hearing from God. And to make matters worse, he does hear that a Philistine army is on its way to attack. And he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And his men are becoming agitated. Some of his soldiers even peel off and they head for home. Well, if Saul's not going to do anything, let's get out of here. So finally, in his impatience, he says, well, i got to do something. So he makes a plan of his own, and he does something. And no sooner does he do something than Samuel the prophet shows up and says, what do you think you're doing, King Saul? Well, I waited. God didn't give me direction, so I thought I'd do what's best. Samuel says, God wanted you to wait a little bit longer. 
And if you'd waited, you could have remained king, but your kingship's going to be taken from you. It's going to be given to a successor, and the successor, David, who learned the lesson of waiting, patient waiting by watching Saul, he wrote Psalm 25. What does it mean to fear God in order to get his guidance? It means soaking your life in his word. It means confessing sin so that your ears are unplugged and you could hear him speak to you. It means waiting patiently waiting for his leading. Here's a fourth and final blessing. It's the blessing of God's love. Now, I've run out of time to give you the details of this blessing, but I, I would like to read an excerpt from Psalm 103 to you in closing. So turn, turn to Psalm 103. That's the fourth and final psalm we're going to look at. And as you're, as you're turning to Psalm 103, I want to say something about God's love that you, you may have never understood before. Okay. There are different kinds of God's love portrayed in Scripture. Okay. The, the, the Bible does not speak with uniformity about God's love, different kinds of God's love. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me illustrate with my own love. Okay. If I say to you, I love pizza, and I love my neighbors, Don and Jean, same kind of love? Call it out. You would hope not. Though I can be pretty shallow at times, and I do love pizza, so it's tempting. But no! What's the difference? You say, well, the difference here is obvious. The one is to love a thing, pizza, versus loving people, Don and Jean. Okay, let me make it a bit harder. I say to you, I love Don and Jean, my neighbors. I love my wife, Sue. Same kind of love? No. But they're both people. Yeah, but Don and Jean are they're friends, they're neighbors. Sue, I, I pledged my life to Sue three plus decades ago. You know, we've raised three three kids together. We've slept in the same bed. We've been intimate with each other. She knows the secrets of my heart. I know the secrets of her heart. When I say I love Sue, I'm saying something totally different than when I say I love my neighbors, Don and Jean. God has different kinds of love. Scripture says, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. John 3, 16. There's a sort of universal love. Everybody gets it. But there's another kind of love that Scripture says God reserves for those who fear him. There is a deeper, richer love. If you'll fear God, you'll experience it. If you don't fear God, you'll never know what it's like. Now, if you think I'm making this up and you know, no, couldn't be. Let me read to you Psalm 103, beginning at verse 11. As I read, I'm going to ask our worship teams to come out on, on stage. In just a few moments, we're going to close with a song and the collecting of our gifts. But follow carefully, underline the fear word. Okay, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, we're going to read some demonstrations of that love. How do you experience it? Well, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, it's a fatherly love. As a father has compassion on his children. Just another word for love. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we're formed. He remembers we're dust. I mean, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, wind blows over it, it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, 
the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. How do you show this fear? Verse 18, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Here's the big idea. I don't want you to leave without getting this today. God has amazing blessing in store for your life. The blessing of provision, the blessing of protection, the blessing of guidance, the blessing of love. But you will never experience it if you don't learn to fear him. God holds these things in reserve for those who fear him. We've been learning what it means to fear him the last couple of weeks. We've been learning that it means you get to know God's word and you walk in obedience to it. You learn to pray and you start your prayers with confession of sin. You get it all out on the table and ask for a cleansing and a forgiveness every time you pray. It, it means that you gather on a regular basis. You don't miss an opportunity on a weekend to get together with other believers and lift up God's name as awesomeness and praise. You, you learn what it means to fear God because if you do, you unlock unbelievable treasure for your life. 